And so I'm outside and I was frantically searching for that elusive cell signal. And eventually I did get a hold of Dan and the words he told me changed my life forever. It wasn't my mom and it wasn't my dad. My 22 year old son had committed suicide that day. I don't tell people this story because of that. I really tell people this story because of what I've learned and what's happened since. You're listening to Culture Champions, a podcast about what it takes to cultivate exemplary work cultures and master sustainable business growth. In each episode, host Zain Hassan sits down with business leaders and experts to bring you in-depth conversations on maximizing value and success in all aspects of your company. Today, I'm unbelievably excited. We've got Jim Blachek here with us, and he's someone who I've had the fortunate pleasure of getting to know. But I think today going through and being able to hear his story and I'm just really excited for the audience and even for myself just to learn his story is incredibly moving. So Jim, really, really appreciate you jumping on and and being willing to take the time to be on the podcast. Thanks, Zane. I appreciate it. I'm Jim Blachek of the Benefits Group and Dynamic Benefit Solutions, a employee benefits firm based in uh, Pennsylvania and, and a few other states, actually. And uh, father of five, grandfather of three, and a huge fan of Ted Lasso. So uh, I don't watch much TV and don't watch any movies, but I am a Ted Lasso fan. So if you have a question on Ted Lasso, you can ask me that. I love that parallel. I do have a question about Ted Lasso, actually. Okay. Um, I, I've watched you know a couple episodes, but I think there's a deep correlation between this podcast, actually, and the idea behind it and Ted Lasso. But I'd love to get your take. Yeah, I mean, Ted Lasso really is about culture and people and believing in them and bringing out the best in them. I don't don't know how long that's been out, but when did you start watching Ted Lasso? Since I don't watch TV, my daughter drugged me into it one time. I had to go out and work for a week out from her house. And she's like, she really wanted me to sit and watch it with her. And so I did. And then we watched, I think it was season one. It might've been, we watched most of season one. And then eventually a year later, I got my wife. We both watched season one, two, and three together and just really enjoyed it. So, I mean, was that, you enjoyed it because it's funny or you enjoyed it both because it's funny. And do you find like there's actual like principles that you're applying in business and, in you know, with how you treat your team? Based on what you're I think buying. it's a combination of everything. It was well-written, a little vulgar at times, but that's okay. I get vulgar sometimes. <laughs> and you know, I just, it was very well-written, well-thought-out, well-developed. And a lot of the lessons that he taught can be applied in life and should be applied in life. And so I found a lot of value. In no, I think on that note, Jim, your story and your, just the background, because you had your own business that's been like what I'll call self-sufficient in terms of. A lot of people want to move from that role of being, you know, leading a business to knowing they can, what I'll call, own a business and not have to be inside it. And then they can kind of choose if they do or don't want to be inside it. I think you've been able to figure that out, but I'd love for you to go through your background from, in terms of the business stages and your story, because candidly, I think that's where the audience will get the most value. Okay. Just the authentic aspect of that and how much that's really shaped how you approach culture. So I began this business back in 88, really coming right out of college and began in the insurance industry. And I want to say we did well in spite of ourselves. 
we were working in our business and not necessarily on our business. And 12 or 13 or 14 years ago, we met a business coach and who began to get us to think beyond ourselves and to look at our business as truly as a business. You know, I tell people without employees, you don't have a business. You just have maybe a well-paid job, you know, because if you're not scalable, you really don't have a business. So you can't sell yourself. You can only sell a business. And so we began on that track. And then for many back in probably it was like 2005 or so when we began to work with him and ACA happened and things are coming along and I was working in this business, but I was not really enjoying it. And then it was really, it was 2012. We had a really phenomenal 2012. And to celebrate that, my friends and I grabbed our snowmobiles and jumped in our trucks and we dwelt 12 hours deep into Quebec, Canada. And the place we stayed at was seven miles down this long winding driveway. And the driveway was off of the main road, which is a dirt road. So there was snowed our waste, 75 foot tall pine trees, and there wasn't a cell tower in sight. Going to be five days of just snowmobiling nirvana. It's February 26, 2013. 11 o'clock that night, I hear a knock on the door after that long drive. And I'm thinking, okay, somebody wants to have a cocktail and begin the party. And I opened the door and it was my friend, Ned. And Ned had this look on his face. And I said, what's up? And he said, you need to call Danny. Well, immediately my heart dropped. Danny's my best friend. Danny knew exactly where I was. Danny's a funeral director. So immediately I think, geez, my mom's 83, my dad's 88. And so I'm outside and I was frantically searching for that elusive cell signal. And eventually I did get a hold of Dan. And the words he told me changed my life forever. It wasn't my mom and it wasn't my dad. My 22-year-old son had committed suicide that day. I don't tell people this story because of that. I really tell people this story because of what I've learned and what's happened since. For the next two and a half years of my life, I was my company's worst employee. I wasn't present mentally, physically, or emotionally. Yet, not only did my company survive, it thrived and grew. And if somebody had asked me six or seven years ago how or why it happened, I couldn't have told them. But about four or five years ago, the light bulb went on. And I realized when I stepped out, my employees stepped up. My employees saved our business. And then I made the connection that really, truly changed my life forever. I realized all these employers that we work with, without their employees, they have no business. And without them, we've got no business either. So my focus changed from helping employers to be able to access higher quality healthcare to helping employees find higher quality healthcare, reducing their cost and honoring them like truly the number one asset that they are for their employers. And so what I do today is to honor them, but it's to honor my employees because they did save our business. And so... I put together, I got, I got this little quote I built, without employees, we have no business. And it doesn't matter if it's my employees or your employees, without them, we've got nothing. And so my focus became employees, my employees and the employees of the employers we work for. Wow. First of all, I think, thank you for wanting to be vulnerable enough to tell that story. I'm not going to pretend to imagine what that was like as it relates to the value that you place on your people. 
and the value that in terms of as we're na- I'm navigating and building a business where I'm trying to ensure people like our, the people are the, not only the number one asset, but really where they can thrive and, and ensuring the culture, everything we build is in service to what I'll call our team. And just as you've kind of gone through that transformational experience, now you're talking to employers, do you find yourself giving guidance to them on how they can build the right culture? You know, I become somewhat picky. I use my story as really a test. I want them to hear my story because they need to understand my why. And I need to understand or feel, I need to feel that they truly believe their employees are their number one asset. If they don't care about their employees, you don't want them. I'm not the person they should work with. Right. And so it, it really becomes finding the right fit for myself so that I can help them honor their number one asset, their employees. So that's essentially become, I mean, the idea of a culture champion is someone who's protecting their team, right? And what you're doing is, if I'm understanding correctly, that's the litmus test to make sure before you bring that client, prospective client on, you ensure that they're authentically, they're not just telling you what you want to hear, but they're authentically able to speak because there's a different tone, right? That people use when they really care um, about their people. And there's different tones when people are trying to, I, at least I'll speak from my experience, when I've noticed when people are just making the claim, but then you kind of hear the verbiage they're using, which is the word I a lot instead of, you know, we. And there's just other indicators where it's like, wait, I'm not sure that they're really who they say they are. And then you can kind of dig deeper. And I think you said something actually that just made me realize something. I learned something right now is that when we pick the right client who honors their employees, they're going to honor my employees. That's right. They're going to treat uh, our employees, my employees, with the same care that they treat their own. And because we all have had those clients that are just insufferable to their own people, but they're insufferable to our team. And that's, I've lost employees because of clients and it's not worth it. So I love what you just said, because you know how many companies I meet or talk to and and most say the client comes first. And what I've learned is that's the mentality of what I'll call of scarcity, right? When you're afraid, when you realize that you've got the value to add because of your team Mm -hmm. and you realize that your role is to protect your team and ensure that any client is treating your team. And I personally believe that they're, however they treat your team is reflective of how they treat their people. To me, the culture champion side of this is because you are doing that and you are explaining this and you're making sure that they understand your story so that you can then understand their why would they want to work with you. And you're able to figure out, okay, are they genuine? Is this authentic? Mm-hmm. And if it is, you're bringing the right client in, which will allow your team to unleash their maximum potential because they're not only going to feel good, they're treated well, they'll be appreciated, but then you're protecting your team and your tribe, right? But you're also able to ensure that the wrong client isn't coming in there where, like you said, where you could lose a talented member of the team. So that model, I guess, to get in and stay on track, the model of when people say, now, our clients, is a, we're client customer obsessed, clients come first. What are your thoughts on that concept? I think that's the exact wrong thing. My employees come first. And if I bring the right clients, 
that's the best marriage of both. Steve Noplaton, who was another one of my coaches, talks about wow clients. When you bring a wow client, your team is energized from that relationship. When you bring an owl client, it's draining. Yeah. And it's, it becomes a cancer on the team. And you can't do that. It's not worth creating a cancer in your organization for money. Yeah. Because it'll kill you. No, and you're right. And there's no amount of revenue that's worth it. It's not. But it's something that I feel like I'm, I've, I've learned that lesson firsthand. And I think one of the things that I just, in, in, as, as I'm hearing you describe it, it's like, as you go around, the more, I think, the, like, if you go back to starting the business, the gym that had, right, at the early kind of days would have been able to hear that message. Well, it's not realistic, right? Because we don't yeah, have so, the revenue stream right. to be able to become selective. I mean, there's different growth stages of a business. When a business is first starting out, I think you almost have to do business with anybody that will do business with you. Although, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe you should be selective from the get-go and maybe you'll grow faster. But again, I didn't experience that, so I don't know that. I swear, I, I haven't either. In multiple businesses, it's been yeah. Do we, am I solving a big enough problem? Do we even have a product market fit? And, and you're kind of working with any business to try to figure out what are they utilizing us for? What are they saying that they need? So that's why what I've kind of learned is people that are say that they're client centric first typically haven't achieved scale, right? One of the biggest things is um, oftentimes they might be the ones that are, are actually wanting to be the center of the business. Maybe they don't want to admit it because a lot of that's uh, the concept is whether or not they want to actually be vulnerable. But what I've noticed is the more transparent I am with my team, with my tribe, like the more people will step up in the areas that we have challenges. And I want to just ask, so as you've kind of gone through and, and the transformation, both as an individual and as uh, a leader and as a father, mm -hmm. because I don't actually differentiate the, the three, right? I think at the end of the day, I'm always looking for consistent improvement. That's as a husband, as a dad, and as a leader in all three areas, right? So I'm always looking to try to improve because that's makes up my one experience. I don't differentiate the experience in terms of like, you know, who I am at work versus who I am at home. It's the same person, yeah. but I wasn't always that way. Yeah. So I'm just trying to, I guess for me, it's trying to understand, you know, as you kind of went through, was it the key moment of understanding and changing, or was it a change of your culture that happened? when everything happened with your son, or was that more of a realization of what you had already built? Well, I definitely think there was a change in me. I became a much more empathetic and I think in tune with my emotions and feelings through that experience. I'm going to use the word appreciate. I don't know if that's the right word. Able to appreciate other people's pain, able to understand that life doesn't always give you what you want. Right. And you have to sometimes roll with the punches and understand that I have to accept the fate that was given to me and how can I make it better? And so I've been able to really change a mindset. I've actually developed a gratefulness mindset because I know things can be a lot worse than they ever are. And other people's problems are much worse than mine. And I, I've had issues where 
a vehicle would break down somewhere. And I'm grateful because it could have been somewhere that was a lot worse than where it happened. And so when you begin to use a gratefulness mindset, life is much kinder to you. And to me, I'm a much healthier person emotionally and even physically, I think, because I'm not stressing over the things that I can't control right? and understand that things can be a lot worse and they've been a lot worse for me and I don't ever want to go back there. And so I'm appreciative of every breath that I take today and I want to be a better father, a better leader, a better husband today and tomorrow. And so just strive for that. Everything you just said in terms of the gratitude mentality or the gratefulness mentality that you just described, did that get built through like, is it a daily habit? Like, how do you remind yourself in those moments where, because I certainly appreciate that the end of the things that used to, as you, both with experience and adversity, the things that used to become like maybe you'd stress out over are probably not stressful. And now what you consider stress, it would be something that would have to be pretty monumental. If it, like, because of the d- description of what you just labeled, right? The gratefulness mentality, knowing that, well, whatever you're going through, somebody else is going through things that are tremendously worse. And you're still really fortunate to be in the position. I think it's just because I become empathetic and understand that, that there's other people that have a lot worse problems than I do. And what was me is not going to, is never the answer. And so I don't necessarily... I don't have a gratitude journal. I think it literally was, I, I had a mind shift change and it just, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. You know, I've had some good, I've had met some incredible people through this journey and yourself and Lester and Steve Napleton and many other people that honestly, I w- would have never met, I don't think, if it hadn't been for what happened to me. And so... I can't change what happened to, with my son, and, and but I can change how I react and change who I am to become a better person to honor he and my employees and be a better person and my family. I think that's unbelievably well said. I personally, I tried to do actually a gratitude, like at least just to write 10 things just to remind myself so that every morning I can be in the mindset and ensure that I don't let. I call it my inner monologue, but it's like that voice. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know if other people even have that voice, but I, I, you know, I, I, there's multiple voices and one of them is like the inner monologue that's self-doubt and the self-limiting beliefs and the concept of, I think that I, to quiet that noise to create sort of a, a daily routine has really helped me do it. But it sounds like through your experience, it's become almost just an, a, a fully absorbed, like you just to make sure I'm clarifying, you didn't practice a routine to mm-hmm. so the coaching that you're mentioning that you reached out that was more was that business coaching it was cathartic right i mean it yeah if i dwelled on the negative it, it would have killed me i had a choice i could have dwelled on the shitty situation that happened or i can how can i grow from this how can i become a better person and luckily for me and luckily for my family I was able to grow from it. Uh, and for your team, kudos to you because candidly, there are a lot of people that that don't, mm-hmm. right? That don't, with a situation like that, they don't. So they're the ability to be self-aware and get yourself out of that rut and to be able to make a difference and, and use that adversity for positive change. That's extremely commendable. Thank you. 
So, I mean, as you now, right, as you go forward, how do you think about the idea? Like, how do you look at people that you're bringing on the team, new people that you're, as you're hiring or recruiting? What's your litmus test for determining the right team member? They have to be good people. I mean, you know, it's conversation, it's discussion, it's, you know, tell me about yourself. And I don't have a magic wand. And I think I've become a fairly good reader of people and I've got a team, right? So it's just not me doing that. Yeah. You know, it's just not my opinion. I'm going to have other people of the team make sure that, is this a good fit for us? Is this somebody that you're going to enjoy working with or isn't it? And so that's important. I mean, it's important to bring in people. They don't have to be like anybody else or everybody else, but they have to be likable. Yeah, no, I I think the concept of making sure it's not just you allows you to not only you know honor your team and ensure that they feel like they're building this team right with you. So the last three hires, I never met them until months after they got hired. Okay, so there you go. That answers my question. It's a process that your team owns, and your team is the one really that does the recruiting because they're the ones that have to work with them day to day. I look at my position as I'm kind of the overseer. I am no longer in the micromanaging of our operation. I can't because I'm horrible. Like, that's not my job. My job is to manage people and to bring out the best in what they can do to, and to give them the, the resources to be able to do that. To me, it's just hearing, yeah, I've, obviously I've had the pleasure offline and outside of this podcast of really getting to know you. And when I think of culture champions, I genuinely think of the people who are looking at their team and saying, I want to protect my team. I want to bring out the best in my team. And I want to keep, you know, what I have, the core, the core values or the characteristics of the team consistent, right? Like to your exact point, it's not, that doesn't exclude anything. It's just saying what you're looking for are people that you can like, enjoy being around mm-hmm. and ensure that they have alignment of shared values. And that, because at the end of the day, from there, you're overseeing, even when the overseeing becomes something that it's really more of the legacy that you're leaving. You probably don't have to check in as frequently as most people that are in their business because you're not really in the business. You're more working on the business and thinking strategically. And that's lessons learned and money spent to be able to dream what I wanted my business to look like and then figure out a way to, and I say my business, it's really our business. I do have a business partner, but it, it's really our business too, because our, it's our employees, it's, it's their business. And so I wanted to be able to build something that could did have a long-term future. It's not dependent upon me or Jeff or any one person so that there is a legacy and a long-term ability for this organization to continue forever. I think the audience will get a lot of value out of this. This really, mm-hmm. again, appreciate you sharing your story. But so what's five, if you are looking back, or not, if not five, but what is your future vision for the business? Like what's the legacy that you want to leave? Well, you know, we have an aging workforce. And so we need to figure out how we can bring in younger people that can assimilate the culture and then be able to lead. I think, you know, we've got a phenomenal start on the service side of our business. It's the sales side that we need to find younger dynamic people that can take the reins in six or eight or 10 years from now, when it's time for uh, me to say, sayonara, you guys, have, you got a phenomenal foundation, just continue it. And 
um, or not. I'll stick around, but let somebody else make more of the decisions. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know what life will hold. And so, but six or eight or 10 years, I want the flexibility that there's opportunity and options available that let somebody else take control. Well, I think that's, to me, the pure definition of typically the concept goes you know, as the, the realization of that doesn't come early enough. And then you find people in a situation where they're realizing and it's too late, right? So being able to provide that opportunity for them. And I mean, I've had the good fortune of where there's a lot of questions I'm not asking because I know you so well already, but I, I think it's valuable for the audience to hear yeah. everything that you just went through. So this was a great you know, dialogue. I really appreciate you jumping on. And in every way, you, you know, keep being a culture champion, Jim, because you're like a perfect example oh, of you. exactly what this podcast is about. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to you know, let me share my story. And, and I hope maybe you can open up some people's eyes so that they can maybe change some mindset to look at their employees as their number one asset. I think before one of the things to that point, so for the audience, as they, if they want to get in touch with you, mm -hmm. reach out, what would be the best way or your preferred way for them to do that? You can find me on LinkedIn. I think if you type my last name, there might be two of us on LinkedIn. I mean, so and there's, it's not a common last name. And I'll drop the link in the notes for the audience so that they can have a link to your LinkedIn. Okay. And I, I'm probably not as active on it as I should be, but I'll get a message and I will get back to you. And happy to have a phone conversation or whatever. All right. Well, sounds good. Appreciate it, Jim. And look forward to our next time to be able to connect. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Culture Champions podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You'll find links to any resources mentioned in the show notes. If you're enjoying our show, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And if you have someone you'd like to hear on the show or a topic you'd like to see covered, please email pat.davisbryant at risktag.com.